welcome to Campfire Football, another collaboration episode, and this one to round off the two European Cup Finals, the Europa League and the Champions League. So I partnered up with Claire from EPL Rekt, and she, being a Man United fan, I thought would be a really great person to talk to about the Europa League Final between Manchester United and Villarreal. And then we decided to move on and talk about the Champions League Final, and me as a Chelsea fan, I have my own little dog in the fight so it was really cool to collaborate together go over the things that we saw and then we kind of talk about things we're excited for for the summer so enjoy this it's always fun to work together with podcasters and uh, keep the community strong and hopefully you guys can check out her show as well well it's this is our little collaboration episode on the europa league and champions league finals i'm sebastian from campfire football and I'm Claire from EPL Rect. Lovely. Perfect. We didn't even rehearse that. That's how good we Not are. Not even. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been, I mean, I, I've been much more quiet over the last week just because I've had a crazy end of season for my own club coaching world thing going on. And so it's been hard to keep up with everything. But finally, it's all done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, I can now say everything is finished, right? We, we finally got that like weird... Um, those playoff finals that happen between in some leagues, if you finish 17th out of or 18th out of 20, yeah. you play the team that finished third, third in the league in the below. League. Yeah. Right. I think they did that in Germany. Um, it was Cologne against Horst and Kale. Mm-hmm. And then there was also the playoff final yeah. for the championship Brentford winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so congratulations to them. It'll be great to see them in the premier league. I think what I, did you read that, that it's, they had as the 10th attempt at making it to the Premier League, to the, the top division I, at least. I did not know that. Yeah, that was number yeah, ten. But, wow. Uh, Honestly, good for them. But I was rooting. I was rooting for them last time when they faced Fulham. Uh, but I mean, at least they're here now. So. You know, it's funny. I I have this weird thing. Despite being a Chelsea fan, I cannot root against Fulham for some reason. <laughs> and and I'll tell you why. It's because so my my my. My dad's family that lives in in Southwest London, they live in Chiswick, which is a neighborhood right next to Fulham. And so when you yeah. go on walks along the Thames, sometimes take the dog for a walk, we pass by Craven Cottage a lo- on the uh-huh. upside side of the river yeah. all the time. And mm-hmm. seeing that ground and having seen it for years, I just, there's something so charming about Fulham. And the fact that Fulham yeah. and Chelsea are 100%. like next door to each other, I've always been like, oh, man, little bro, you know, I just... I just mm-hmm. I just root for him. So um, but I have to say yeah. Brentford coming yeah. back. No, I used to I used to absolutely love Fulham too. Yeah. Well, and as if yeah. you're from the States, there are some ties, right? Like, I mean, Carlos Bocanegra played there, but more than anything, Clint Dempsey Clint had his Dempsey. heyday. Oh my god. Yeah. Had his heyday. I absolutely love Clint Dempsey. But yeah, him at Fulham was unreal. So much fun. And then and then yeah. I, and then he went to Spurs and it just never was the same. And then when he came back to the yeah. MLS. I don't know. Yeah. All right, so, well, this is obviously the week that everything really ends, and we had the Europa League final and the Champions League final. So we're going to go over Europa League first because, Claire, you are a Man United fan. Yeah. Oh, and, <laughs> uh, look, I, I really want to hear your opinion on overall the game yeah. and then, yeah, both, both sides of the ball and everything. Just what was your general reaction to all? Okay. Firstly, I – Honestly, was not surprised that we struggled. Every single Man United game that we we're away in some aspect, I feel like every single time we always come back from 
we always go one zero down and then somehow we make it up and everything's okay. And I honestly predicted that they'd score first off of some sort of corner or free kick because we are actually garbage at that. <laughs> so I knew that like if Villarreal was going to score, it would be off of a corner, a free kick or some sort of aerial ball that'll go into the box and it would just somehow end up in. So I wasn't surprised in terms of like the way that it happened. I think I was just more surprised how like poor like Man United was. Um, especially after the second goal, I really thought we'd like turn on the gear. Like I really did think that would happen. Um, and I honestly was very surprised that Marcus Rashford had that much of a poor performance. That honestly was kind of heartbreaking. Um, I remember like he missed that one shot and I literally looked at my TV and I was like, we did not sign Timo Werner. Like Timo Werner misses these shots, not Marcus Rashford. I was like, oh no. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, Timo Werner, obviously, he won now. He's fine now. But in that moment, I was like, Timo Werner misses these shots. Marcus Rashford, what are you doing? Totally. Um, but as soon as – I think when I kind of realized things were going downhill, I don't know why, but, like, I I absolutely love Mason Greenwood. And Mason Greenwood is one of my favorite main United players. And so when he came out, I looked at this team and I was like, Rashford's not doing well. Mason Greenwood's out. I don't know. I, I just knew it was going to be – I just had a – I had a feeling. And then when it went to penalties, um, I immediately did not have a good feeling about this. And I think mainly because, like, I don't necessarily remember or, like, know David De Gea's, like, records in terms of penalty kicks. But the last, like, penalty kicks I saw was, like, him in, like, the International, like, Champions Cup, the one that, like, happens in the States. And he, like, was in goal against AC Milan. And that went to, like, 11 penalty kicks. And then he finally saved one. So I just knew that this wasn't going our way. I, I just knew David De Gea was not saving anything, but I just didn't think that it would just come down to the goalies and then that heartbreaking save would happen. Like, I just felt that maybe like, no offense to these players, but like, I would thought Axel or like Dan James, I thought they would miss and be like, okay, we get it. Like they're young, they're newer, they'll miss. But to have David De Gea, one of the senior members of our team, miss that penalty kick, heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. But I wasn't surprised, by the way, like, the game as a whole kind of turned out in terms of, like, Villarreal's perspective. I think they did. I wasn't surprised, especially because of the Arsenal game before. I wasn't really surprised that Villarreal was, like, a strong team defensively and could handle our attack. Yeah, yeah. just heartbreaking. Just heartbreaking. <laughs> you know, it's funny because after I was texting a friend of mine who was watching the game as well, and right when, the, when Cavani scored – I texted him. I was like, I mean, dude, they're, they should win this now because, yeah. because now they're not behind and I don't think they're going to go behind again. Yeah. Like, there's such a tiny chance they're going to go behind again. So now, yeah. you know, Cavani's got one. He's, he's, he's in the mode, you know what I mean? Just keep yeah. delivering balls in the box. And so here are a couple questions that I have for you in terms of what yeah. you think. Cause like, a lot was first of all made of Ole's subs, right? Because Villarreal by, I think by the first overtime, by the by halftime of the first of the first extra time, they yeah. had already made four substitutions. Mm -hmm. Man United had made one, I think. One. Yeah. And then you get Alex Tellez and Juan Mata that come on with like two minutes to play. And mm -hmm. I mean, all that says one thing and one thing alone, you're taking a penalty. You take the penalty. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, not please go win this for me with a minute to go. Yeah. And so 
in the substitutions, do you, because Greenwood also came off. Mm-hmm. And so I was not happy about that. What I wonder is it looks like he didn't trust his bench, mm-hmm. but he didn't give certain players the full game to actually finally make the impact like, like Mason Greenwood yeah, or like Paul Pogba. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I think when I saw Paul Pogba, I was so confused. I was like, Hmm. Interesting. I, I literally was, I, that substitution out of all the stuff just made no sense. It, it didn't make sense. It made you wonder. Cause when I saw it, I was like, Oh, he's probably resting in front. And then I was like, whoa, 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 this is the last game of the season. What the hell? Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Because I remember when they made that sub happen, I, we saw like Pogba like taking water and like, there was like a good amount, like a shot on him on him taking one. I was like, Oh, he's just taking water. He'll, he'll, he's back. And then I saw him like, he's, he's not coming back. I was like, yeah, that didn't. That's make bad production me. value, by the yeah. way. That's like you if you screw up noticing a substitution. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute, where is he? And then like yeah. two minutes later, they're like, oh yeah, by the way, there was a substitution. Paul yeah, Pug was, was off. Like, You're like, what? Wait a minute. Yeah, I, I was like, I just thought he was taking water. He's just gonna come back. Yeah, they just kind of threw up yeah. a board, I guess, when they were all having a drink, and he just like quickly jumped off. Yeah. <laughs> Like grassroots soccer substitution style, just mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought I honestly thought um, I didn't think Mason was gonna get subbed off. I thought Rashford was gonna get subbed off because I think like the last couple of games he hasn't been the fittest. So I thought that he'd come off early. So I wasn't. I was kind of surprised that Rashford didn't come off earlier. If I'm being honest, but it, I just think it's weird. Like yeah. I, Mason Greenwood to me feels like the type of player that in a final. Of all your top players, he's yeah. the one you bench in order to try and in help you win change. the game later yeah. if you need it. And not even if you need it, but even if you want to see, you just, you plan to sub him on 60 yeah. minutes in regardless. Yeah. And because he's, he, regard, even if you're winning, he's worth putting on the field. Yeah, but absolutely. what he can give you off the bench and then to sub him off when you feel like, dude, this is one of your jokers, you know? Yeah. And then you have Mason Greenwood and Paul Pogba come off those are, I would imagine, two very high-quality penalty takers. That's, so yep. the reasoning behind it, you're kind of like, I'm not sure. I mean, the penalty taker thing worked out, obviously. Yeah. Everyone made – everyone who yeah. was supposed to score scored. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, that, that that was interesting. Actually, I, I wanted to ask you because you said – you're like, Alex Twanzebe wasn't so sure. Daniel James wasn't so sure. From a neutral's perspective. Yeah. I was – Every single Man United penalty I felt would go in because I oh. just didn't believe in Ruli. I was like, dude, this guy's oh. not saving anything. Every yeah. Real taker that went up that I was like, wait, Francis Coughlin's going to take this one? Yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> this is it, man. You are going to get yeah. bailed out. And then the guy goes top corner. And yeah. then Raul Albiol, yeah. you're like the big dude. Okay, let's see. Come on. Yeah. Smashes it into the roof of the net central. I, you're like, I literally, their penalty kicks, I was like, I did not expect these from these players at at all. I was like, either you practice this very well or this is just your thing. <laughs> so here's the question. Do you think, because I mean, I would imagine Unai Emery was like, there is a very high probability this game is going to penalties. Yeah. There's not a high probability we win this game. There's a very big po- probability we draw. And if that's yeah. the case, we need to go to penalties and we need to make damn sure we win this. Yeah kind of amazing i still think it, it, it i mean my personal opinion on the shootout and I, I would love to hear what you think about this but yeah. i almost think it literally 
all comes down to goalkeepers. Yes, there were some yes. amazing shots, but there were some that were not perfect mm-hmm. that the goalies made look unsavable. Yeah. Like where they just froze and the ball went like three yards to their right, where if they had yeah. just added the potential for it. So it, I got a feeling like it really came down to which keeper was going to either get lucky that someone was going to miss mm-hmm. or I don't know. It just felt like it was, it was the goalies to either win it or lose it entirely. Yeah, I totally agree. There are a couple shots from, I think Luke Shaw's was almost saved. I'm pretty sure. And I was like, Ooh, it was like, I think it was bottom corner. Um, and I was like, oh, I, I don't have a good feeling about this, but I totally agree. I think the goalkeepers definitely made a hundred like a, a huge difference. Well, and and then I feel bad for De Gea because when I watched his penalty, I was like, that's not a bad penalty. I mean, he yeah. tried to go low corner, and Ruli actually finally made the save the out of <laughs> out of twenty one shots or twenty two shots, only one save. I've actually <laughs> never seen a shootout never. where that many players scored consecutively. Yeah. I agree. Usually it's like one will miss, the other will miss, and then they just keep going. But this many continuous, I was like, wow, this is this is wild. Which makes me wonder, were the goalkeepers so unimposing and just so like hmm. both of them? Because, okay, goalkeepers, we yeah. know, they can get into the head of players and that's kind of what you have to do pressure has to crank down on these Mm -hmm. pros because or else they can pick out a top corner yeah so we're both goalkeepers basically looked at by the shooters as i'm scoring on this dude yeah no i think i think really was for sure i think i don't when i look at really he doesn't look intimidating no i don't think yeah not at all but i feel like de gea maybe like as the shootout continued i think that like the confidence and the intimidation factor definitely went down You mentioned you didn't know what his record was. I didn't either. Did you end up hearing how many penalties he saved recently? Like, what is his his current record? No. It's something like, I'm pretty sure it's he has saved zero of the last 40 for Man United and Spain combined. I I, I would need to double check the stat, but I heard that somewhere. Um, And there were a couple where I was like, dude, it looks, it's getting easier and easier to score on you. Yeah. And that is an interesting thing. Two goalkeepers who looked like they couldn't figure out a way to intimidate the shooters. Mm -hmm. And I got center backs just smashing balls into the top corner. So yeah, 100%. But no, yeah, that's why I was like, I don't, I didn't think that De Gea was necessarily like a bad goalkeeper in terms of penalties, but thinking back at it, I was like, I don't remember De Gea saving penalties. So I guess that's the statistic. And I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. (laughs) Just, just go with the simple memory perception test. Yeah. Like, what do I remember? You're like, yeah. I literally cannot remember a penalty save. Yeah, and I remember, I remember a few from Keppa. Like, I remember some good ones from Keppa. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I yeah. actually have some in my mind. I'm like, oh, yeah. that was a hell of a save, yeah. you know? But And like, Keppa didn't even make the squad, so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I remember, like, oh, I forgot what game it was. And I don't remember what the score was. But I'm pretty sure um, De Gea saved a pen in the Premier League. I, for, I think it was like first half of the league and then it got taken away and then it had to like redo it. But I forgot. Oh, he stepped off his line. Yeah, he stepped off his line. I think that was the only <laughs> save I remember of him. But I was like, yeah, that that kind of makes up the statistic. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a weird one. Penalty shootouts are funny because it, a lot of the time, I'm like, I don't really like them because one of the reasons I tend not to like shootouts that much is because I feel like one team tries to get there and the other team tried to win 
And then a lot oh, of the team, yeah. the team that tried yeah. to win loses in the shootout. Yeah. But this didn't totally feel like that. I felt like Villarreal were just trying to be efficient from the very first whistle. Mm-hmm. And you don't play for That's a shootout that. from the first minute. Yeah. You play for a shootout, maybe an extra time. Yeah. And <laughs> they I, wanted the shootout. They wanted to go. They Once extra time happened, they were like, oh, we, this is that's where yeah. this is going. Yep. <laughs> um, so the first goal, the one that Man United conceded, obviously. Yeah. From my perspective, sometimes I look at these things and I'm like, why do teams do what they're doing? Mm-hmm. That high line. I'm trying to understand the actual reason for it. Yep. And I mean, on a purely tactical perspective, here's why I don't get it. Because what you're doing is you're basically inviting a situation where the ball will go over your defense and everyone is going to have to start running backwards because you you can't be certain whether or not players time their runs right or anything. So you have to run back towards your own goal Mm -hmm. and watch a ball come up over you and try and deal with it. You're also running in the same direction as your goalkeeper which I obviously which is a crazy problems. unsafe situation, yeah. right? And I'm just not really sure it reduces any kind of chaos or your ability to actually stop goals because that was the most straightforward thing ever. It was like, yeah, just lob it, lob it. and make sure your guys running on can just get a touch on the ball. It was the most straightforward set piece. And I was like, if you set your line at the 18-yard box, like yeah. that guy has to hit a perfect delivery that goes like, I don't know. It seems yeah. like what when you raise your line that high in a set piece, especially from wide areas, you're basically saying, go ahead, chip it in. We'll see if we can deal with this yeah. versus being like, come on, play the best possible ball you can. And I don't know. what What's your opinion on that? Because that must have been a frustrating goal to give up. 100%. But and then I was like hearing a lot afterwards about like, obviously, like Harry McGuire didn't play. And everyone's like, oh, like you think it would be different if Harry Maguire played? No, I, I literally don't think it would have been different. Like I, Harry Maguire, Eric, I honestly don't think it would have changed because literally every single time set piece wise, I don't know what our strategy is or if we have a strategy Cor- offensively and defensively. It just seems like it just doesn't work. And I just don't think I agree. Like, I don't think that Highline did any of us any, any justice at all. Yeah, that's actually a good point you just made about Harry Maguire, because yeah. now that I'm thinking about it, if I look back at the 2018 World Cup watching England, they were coming up with all kinds of things to get Harry Maguire very much open on set pieces. And yeah. I remember that he scored a couple goals because they they did it right. Yeah. And I'm trying to imagine you got Harry Maguire, you got Paul Pogba, at Scott least McTominay. those two. Then you got Scott McTominay, who's a giant and 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 willing. Yeah. You've also got Edinson Cavani. And then you got players like Marcus Rashford who can deliver the ball, Bruno Fernandez. Yeah. So I shouldn't we be seeing Man United do a lot more well curated set piece options to get some of these guys free? Yeah, it, it literally doesn't. You just don't that. see it. Yeah, absolutely. Literally, our biggest weakness is any sort of set piece that yeah. involves heading in any capacity. Yeah. Which is sad. That's a sad one. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we you always hear about how important set pieces are at the highest level, right? Yeah. And 
I just, I just don't understand this insane 35 yards out from your goal high line. I, I, I've yet to understand really what it accomplishes. Like, show me the data that that does not cause <laughs> chaos. Yeah. You know, that it's, that it's safer of an option than just sticking your line at the top of the D mm-hmm. and, and being yeah. like, get it over our goalkeeper uh, or get it over our back line and yeah. to where our goalkeeper doesn't just see exactly what you're doing and just snag it. Yeah, literally. Because you can't loft a ball like that. You can't just give it that much like height. Yeah. Uh, but, but you can if you're just, if all you have to do is chip it over their back line and you got a bunch of people running in looking for a tap in. Yeah. I just don't get it. I just don't yeah. get it. So I'll as a Man United the, fan, yeah. if I would be, if I were a Man United fan, I'd be like furious that that's how you give up a goal. I would be yeah. so annoyed. Yeah, I, I, I just wasn't surprised because we're actually garbage at those things. We're literally garbage. So when that set piece was given and the whole thing was set up, because my first reaction was, that's a really high line, guys. Literally when you saw that, time, yeah. did you go, oh, no. I said, I don't know. every time we get, we give up a corner or a free kick, I say, oh, no. I'm like, my, <laughs> mind, my mind automatically goes blank. I'm like, this is just not what we're supposed to do. <laughs> this is just not it. <laughs> Like, like literally every really game, every game we've had this season, I literally say, do not give up. Like, don't give up corners. Don't give up that piece. And because I'm pretty sure, like, if you look at most goals that have scored against us, most of them are from set pieces. I'm I'm 100% sure that a vast majority of them, over like 60% of the goals that we concede are from some sort of set piece. So every time you get them, like, this is it. <laughs> this is it. You just, you just get a bad feeling. Yeah. This... Yeah. Sheffield scored off of set pieces Southampton squared on us set pieces like we're just actually bad <laughs> yeah no I, I mean I'm thinking back and I'm like yeah there's a, quite a few free kicks and corners that went in I mean it's wow yeah and so was there anyone who would you go and give your all right we'll start with the Man United perspective we'll start yeah. there who was in your opinion the most valiant performer someone who really stood up and you felt did the absolute best they could to drag the team over the line, but in this yeah. game, yeah, for Man United, yeah, I think for me, I'd say for me, I think the player that really did it for me, and I was honestly really impressed with Scott. I think Scott McTominay had a great game, um, out of everybody. I, I wasn't necessarily not surprised by it, uh, but I, it was shocked me how much he went and put an effort to like retrieve some of the balls and even like some of like the early shots he had. I was like, oh, okay, like I, I. I get the vision. The, the accuracy wasn't there, but I get I get the vision. Um, so I think Scott had a good game, I think, out of everybody. And I obviously, like, I have a soft spot for Paul. Like, I think Paul, obviously, is a very good ass, like, asset for us. Um, I also think, um, I think I love Wambasaka. I think he would definitely be chosen for England if his, like, offensive capability was, like, a tad bit better. Like, in terms of, like, whipping more balls in the box and stuff like that. But I think, like, a lot of the balls that he did do was – better than before so i give him props for that but i think i thought rashford would be so much better at this game i don't know what in me i just thought rashford was pretty poor in this game in comparison to the other ones he's done but yeah probably bruno as well i think bruno is the most disappointing sure yeah bruno for me for for sure with the most the most disappointing but you know i'm gonna join you on this whole like i really like aaron Juan bisaka and yeah I think that he's gotten a lot. For some reason, there's just been a lot of crap talked about the fact that either Man United spent so much money on this guy who's great defensively but can't attack for anything. And you're like, okay, first of all, 
can we all remember that we didn't know who he was three years ago? Literally. So I remember that. Yeah. Then he gets he gets his chance from Palace to United. And I think he's done great. I mean, he's like he's part of the England setup. The only problem is that England have this insane wealth of right back options. Ridiculous amount of options. The options are insane. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I just, I actually really like that Ole went and spent big money on a young English right back who is going to have a great Premier League career, yeah. you know, regardless of whether or not he stays at United for a long time, he's going to have a great career and, uh, I, I'm no, I'm all about Aaron Wambasaka also Absolutely. because I mean, his name is just, just amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing name. It's just incredible. Yeah. So here's the thing is though, the game on a big picture scale for yeah. the future of the club means nothing. Yeah. Losing doesn't mean anything big picture. What it does do is maybe knock the confidence of this group to go and win finals, to go in. Yeah push on to be elite again is that something that you kind of worry about as a united fan like just kind of like this just we could have really used this versus nah, it's just the europa league we're still in the champions league anyway whatever yeah i think i think if we didn't have if we didn't get trophies under under jose when we had jose Mourinho, i think if we didn't have any trophies under him and then this happened with ole i don't think fans would be that upset but i think it's because like even though it's like a like a rough time under under Jose and we still managed to get trophies and like it and I guess like now is like a better time like a better a better era under Ole it just feels like something was needed to like kind of like start a new era I guess totally um so I guess in that sense it definitely would have helped um but I guess like I think it you obviously saw like afterwards, like Bruno was in tears and distraught. So I guess like, I think that definitely hurt him because he a hundred percent, obviously like he had a disappointing performance, but he did think that with him joining the team and all the other like additions and how the teams changed over time, I think he really thought that we had a shot at it. And I think everyone thought we had a shot at it. So I think in that aspect, it definitely knocked people down for sure. Well, and here's the one, the one last thing in term that I really noticed during the game is, yeah. After they went one nil behind, I felt like the just body language, the communication between players started to get a little bit sour. Yes. And there is mm-hmm. a point to where guys like Bruno, guys like Edinson Cavani, Paul Pogba, guys who are winners, these are moments where by doing that, sometimes they can drag the rest of the group out with them. But for some reason, really early on in the way they were communicating with each other, and even Ole from the bench. Yeah, and from the sideline, Ole I started to get pissed. a feeling like they just were like angry. Yeah, Ole and pissed. and then you look Early, across like, at Villarreal, who look like we are g'd up to do this together. Yeah, and I started to feel like Man United they don't look as solid as a group right now, which is not mm-hmm. something that we've associated with them. We've always associated since yeah. Ole took over that it's been this we're together. No matter what, even if it looks like crap, we're together. You know, we got a better feeling within the squad and everything. Jose made it, you know, sour. Now we're all good. That didn't look very positive. Do you Mm -hmm. think, what did you see in that? No, yeah. I think, I forgot. I'm pretty sure it was like after that first goal, but the body language 100% did not look good. From Cavani, from Bruno, from literally anybody they panned the camera to, it just did not look good. And then I definitely like at the end of... Like right, we're about to, when they were about to um like take penalty kicks, 
you saw like Villarreal on this nice huddle. They were like together. They were doing whatever chant and all of you, all, and you just pan to Man United's and we're just like, we're in like a little circle, but we're just like, it just, it just didn't, like the fight was just not there. And I was like, oh, this is not going to go good. This is not going to go good. It's so amazing, isn't it? To watch that kind of thing that the mental dynamics from, yeah. from on TV and the things that, that they they can show you the shots that you see and yeah and it's amazing how with the little that you can actually see from the tv perspective that we were able to pick up that all those things it's it wasn't it wasn't the right feel and it's interesting a few other man united pundits and fans and stuff that i've talked to were like we just the feeling of where it was going just got worse yeah. and worse throughout the game even after going even after the one one it was like for the next five minutes oh and then it was like Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Which yeah, is so weird for Man United, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I think a lot, I think they, I think one thing is that they put too much pressure on this game, which obviously it's a final. Don't get me wrong. But I really think that like this game had just like way too much pressure put on their shoulders. Like I don't know what the team talk was. I don't necessarily know what was going on through everyone's heads, but like it just seemed like there was so much pressure put on this one game, which obviously it's a final. Like it makes sense. But it just felt like if we don't win, like the world's going to collapse. Like it just, it just did because like how many times this year have like made it come from behind and have been fine thing is like it's happened so many times that like even if like it it just it just didn't feel right it kind of felt like um there was the man united versus crystal palace when we were at selhurst park and that game did not feel right at all like you it and it literally was just like a throwback to that like it even if even when we went one one it did not feel right. like nothing was working i'm pretty sure that game i think people caught like Harry Maguire yelling back at Rashford and Rashford yelling back at Maguire, like kind of like that energy was that game without the yelling too much. It was like the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's very interesting to see because again, I didn't actually watch that Man United Crystal Palace game. So to hear that you watched that same vibe start to come out in that same situation. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's interesting to know. So you kind of, it's like, nah, we've been here just a few weeks ago and it was not like the way it ended. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but even like, I think later on, like a couple months after that, we drew one one against Leeds, and even then, like that was a tough game. But I didn't. It wasn't the same. I guess like, obviously, like the end of the season, like Man United had such a hectic schedule, but like it just didn't seem like even that one one draw against Leeds wasn't. It didn't feel that toxic. It just felt like nothing was working. Like we just kept pushing, pushing, and nothing was working. But the one one against Crystal Palace, I hundred percent remember. Like that was so sour. That game was so sour, and it kind of was the same one as this one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, before we move on to the Champions League, yeah. I do want to give a couple quick shout outs to some Virial players that I impressed Absolutely. me. First of all, Pau Torres, uh, that center back, man. Yeah. Uh, his penalty yeah. kick, top shelf, left side. Didn't expect him to do that, but what a no. game he had. Raul sure. Albiol, who, you know, I mean, he's been in and out all over the place. Mm-hmm. His penalty kick was incredible with his little mini top knot thing. The, shape. the top knot. <laughs> mini top knot. Um, Francis Coquelin, guy who was at Arsenal. I think anyone mm-hmm. who's a, it was a pure Premier League watcher only yep. probably was like, that guy still plays. <laughs> You know, and and um, I just think it, yeah. it's beautiful. And then obviously, got to give props to Unai Emery because oh yeah, for sure, king of the Europa League. You know, he's Absolutely. got four. He's won it with two different clubs. He's, yeah. I mean, that it, it's 
it's almost weird because I'm not sure any manager wants to be king of the Europa League yeah. necessarily because you probably want to be king of the Champions League. Yeah, but Italy, Sevilla winning how many times in a row? Three. I mean, yeah. and then and then you get the fourth with Villarreal again. You yeah. beat Man United in the final. I mean, and and Villarreal. Don't forget, this is a town of like fifty thousand people. Yeah. You no, know, I mean they the they were just a little mini nothing club for for a long long time, and it, it was. Mm-hmm. Not until the 90s where they really started to like grow a little bit. And then in the 2000s, we started to see them get to Europa League semifinals and stuff. And and I just I I think it's a beautiful story. It's it's hard for people sometimes to recognize just how massive of an achievement that actually is for that club. Absolutely. So we got to give them some props and some credit. Yeah, 100%. No, yeah. Fair play to them. They had a game plan, executed it, nailed it, won it. And the one thing, the one last thing I'll say in, in support of Man United is, look, David De Gea's penalty saving record, obviously not good. Garbage. <laughs> People, leave him alone for the penalty oh miss, god. though. Oh yeah. my god! Like, leave him alone for not scoring at least. Yeah, like, come on. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's just my opinion. For missing. I was like, uh, it was a decent penalty. It's not like he put in put any effort in it. It's not like he chipped it and it just didn't work. He actually like shot. <laughs> He didn't sky it either. It was yeah. on target. And the, the other goalie had saved zero priors. So, I mean, you know, but yeah. All right. So then three days later, Champions League, Champions League final. Were you able to watch the entire game? Yes, I did watch the entire game. So yes. you actually saw more than I did in terms oh. of, uh, yeah, because I missed the first half because I had a game to coach at the time and then had to book it to a pizza yeah. party for the girls team I coached and none of them were watching the game and I was just standing there and there were parents being like hey can we talk I was like I, yeah I just just I'm not going to be looking at you if that's okay yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um got to the party actually right after Havertz scored I walked in and oh, the okay. the replays were going of the goal <laughs> so right before halftime and then second half I watched it and just I'll just give you the fans perspective here as a Chelsea fan. Yeah. A weird emptiness about the whole thing. Hmm. It's a strange thing. I was not jumping up and down. I was as soon as I saw they were one up, I was like, oh, all right. Well, I mean, it's yeah. a cagey game. I knew these two teams would be very close. Like if someone yeah. scored, okay. Um, and then the second half just sort of just just kind of dragged. Yeah. And then ended. Yeah. It was not a very exciting game. I don't think the football was great. I think that. It was a really good tactical performance from mostly Chelsea, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but both teams were still pretty good. But yeah. it was and, and I remember just as a Chelsea fan in 2012, I was in stitches during that game. I mean, I was a friend of mine and I and we were sitting in an empty bar. It was just the two of us. <laughs> and I had worked an early morning shift at a Whole Foods, gotten off, went across the street to the bar. No one in there but us two. And I mean, we were just like just so tense the whole game. Yeah. And then when Didier Drogba scored the final penalty, I actually mm-hmm. ran out the bar and did a full lap around the whole block. Yeah. With that, my hands yeah. out, just doing the plane. Like that's how much, that's how much, it, that's how great it felt to win the first chance. This one, weirdly, when the final whistle blew, I was like, ah, oh, we all right, they won. <laughs> um, That was weird. Like something about this whole season, Champions League games without fans until the final. Yes. But, and I'm not saying it's like, oh, it did, the win doesn't matter or count yeah. because everyone was in the same situation. It counts. But how it felt 
from a fan perspective, it didn't feel like the occasion had the same gravitas that it normally should. Yeah. And it almost felt kind of just a step above last season's like weird bubble playoff that they quickly did. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that this is just a two year funk in terms of how champions league feels, Mm -hmm. but it's weird as a Chelsea fan to have watched your team win it and kind of be like, I just don't feel the same level of just excitement about yeah. this one. So I don't know. What did, what do you, what do you think about the game overall? Yeah, honestly, it's, it's funny that you like missed the first half. Cause I thought the first half was the best half. It was like the best part <laughs> of the entire game. <laughs> like I was so invested in this first half and the second half I was like in it. And then as you said, like it definitely did drag on. Um, but I think the part during the second half that really took me out of the whole game entirely was when Kevin De Bruyne was substitute. I was like, this is it. I, I From that moment, I knew that Man City was losing. Like, I just knew. And it's not just because of, like, Kevin De Bruyne, just, like, the energy, the sa- the sadness as he walked off. It was, I just did not see anything just coming from them at all. Um, but in terms of, like, how the game, like, started and progressed, I definitely think that Chelsea executed their game plan and what they, like, needed to do. I 100% think. I Like, it didn't feel like even though like Man City is like a very like possession based team, um, it didn't feel like that much. Like I feel like Chelsea definitely came in, did what they had to do, like held their possession, like took a lot of possession away from Man City as much as they could, and like try to utilize it more. Um, and also the first half did a lot of have did have a a, a couple team of Werner misses, which is a staple. But um, yeah, no, I did think like the first half was definitely a way better half than the second, the second for sure, by by a long shot. But I think for me, I guess like the, I guess like the two standout players that for me, it was absolutely good was um, obviously N'Golo Conte is the absolute midfield goat. Absolutely love N'Golo Conte and everyone knows that. But um, I really was shocked by Reese James. Like I knew Reese James was good, but he had such a good game. I was like, I was honestly impressed. Like the way he like handled Sterling. Um, I literally was so impressed by Reese James. He had a great game for sure. The funny thing about Reese James, so uh when you if you watch Chelsea frequently, if you're a fan of the team and you you know keep up with them, one thing that you've seen Reese James do is consistently deliver top performances in big moments. I remember the first time that Chelsea played against Crystal Palace mm-hmm. after Frank Lampard had come in. So Reese James is playing right back and he's up against Louis Zaha. Or sorry, sorry, um Wilfred Zaha. Yeah. Louis, French guy <laughs> from yeah. Um <laughs> And he ate him. He, he did not let Zaha have anything. And then there there were multiple other times where in Champions League games against big big time players, he he would show up. And it's funny when Reese James hit the scene, there were and really started playing a lot. I said to a lot of people, he's going to surpass Trent Alexander Arnold within two years. Mm-hmm. I know everyone loves some, them some Trent, but Trent's yeah. nowhere near the defender that Reese James is. Yeah, nowhere 100, near 100%, 100%. And he's a beast, too. Like, he's such yeah. a physical specimen. Yeah. Like, so strong. It's, it's so funny. Have you, I don't know, have you seen his sister playing for Man United? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are identical. Their playing They're style is the same. So much alike. Yeah. Their technical ability and the way they use, the way they maneuver and use their bodies and spin off people. They're identical. It's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. 
but yeah, he was outstanding. I have to say, and obviously, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to side with you. Anyone that watches my show knows that I'm gonna, obsessed with N'Golo Kante. And, literally, literally. And uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, he's the most unique midfielder I've ever seen that is not literally. just like one of those classy, brilliant, technical game uh, sort of playmakers. I think N'Golo yeah. Kante, there's never been anything like that from what ever. I've seen. Yeah, so, 100%. So I'm bummed I missed the first half then everything that was exciting. One thing I will say, I, I think a lot of people will get, I, I want to get into whether or not you thought Pep overthought something, but I also want to first just really say, look, finals are based on moments. Mm-hmm. And if you watch that slow motion of when Rudiger did that tackle to block Phil Foden's Phil shot. Phil, oh my God. <laughs> and you watch it in slow-mo and you're like, dude, if that ball went, anywhere lower and under his foot it probably yep. goes in right yeah and then i think there was another one where maybe it was riyad Mahrez got to the byline and cut the ball back mm-hmm. and someone was going to come in and finish i don't remember and maybe it was aspilicueta just got a just got oh, in there yes. and was able to yes. get a leg out and then and then there was another one later actually where aspilicueta squ- scooped it over the bar when it was going to gundawan mm-hmm. and you, you're like these are incredibly good positions to get into and you're talking a matter of inches between whether the defender gets it or you score yeah so to me margins are always so tight in finals did you really i mean my perspective was that it was a dead even game and chelsea just happened to be the team that scored and man city just happened to be the team that didn't did you feel that that was how it went or did you kind of see a different overall pattern momentum and level of control yeah, I kind of saw it kind of like the um I don't know if you watched the the Manchester Derby, the one at um where Man United won two zero, like at the Etihad. I don't know if you watched that game, but I did, yeah, I, actually. Yeah, I thought it was very much like that game where like it did feel like obviously like Man City had their possession. It had like they had like some derby moments, but at the same time, anytime Man United went forwards, it just felt like a little more dangerous. So even like in the second half, like that Christian Pool is a chance. I was like, oh, did not expect Chelsea to still be trying to win this game. Like, I just didn't, like, it was just one of those things where I just didn't expect, like, Chelsea's counterattack. And even, like, even when Man City lost the ball, like, I didn't expect Chelsea to still be, like, 100%, like, in this game. Like, I thought they would just be, like, completely dedicated to, like, closing the game out. But I think Chelsea still had their good moments, you know, uh, like, even with Man City's trying to press and continue forward. So, yeah, I definitely thought that it was pretty even towards the end, for sure. And so then then let's get into Pep's choices, right? Yeah. The the lineup did not include a defensive midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um it's funny. I, I did uh I did a little cross episode with uh, soccer subs podcast guys mm-hmm. about the Champions League as a sort of lead up to it. And one of the questions that I wrote down that I have in my notebook was Fernandinho or Rodri? Who's Pep going to pick and why? He chose neither. Neither. And did not make any sense. That one was weird to me because the goal was like where you have a six. It was six street. That ball went straight down six street and there was no one there. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it was so very interesting call from my perspective what do you think about that 100 i agree i i thought for i honestly thought fernandina would start 
I genuinely didn't think so. I just felt like his, I guess, like experience. I'm, I'm not saying Rodri's like not experienced at all, but I just thought like his age and like him, like Fernandino in that midfield, I thought would have been so much more beneficial for everyone else to push forward. So I thought he was going to choose Fernandino. But then when I saw the lineup and neither of them were there, I was like, this is an interesting choice. You already don't play without a nine, yet alone without either of them. <laughs> I just didn't know how that game I yeah I didn't know how that was going to turn out and clearly did not turn out well but I don't know what Pep was thinking honestly well I think the one thing he was thinking I think was that they would just be able to just have the ball more create enough chances and score yeah but it's weird that we're creative so I guess yeah but that has not been the way they've done things this season yeah and I think it's really – I was not totally into this whole Pep overthinks big games thing. I was kind of like, look, he's a really smart dude who also – he looks he looks for solutions that might be the difference. And maybe yeah. he gets them wrong or maybe things don't work out. Mm-hmm. But I didn't like this idea that he just overthinks everything. You have to say, it's strange that Raheem Sterling, who has barely played very much, especially in big mm-hmm. games in the last six to eight weeks, starts the Champions League final and and you don't have a six. Yeah, I did not think Raheem Sterling would. I didn't think. Uh, yeah, I just didn't. No one thought he would it. start. I didn't think he would start at all. Especially no one he did. Had, he hasn't even. I don't even remember the last time he did start. That wasn't like that. New, I, probably, I don't know if he even started that Newcastle game that they just chucked on random people and it ended up working out. <laughs> Yeah, I so it's an interesting thing, right? I mean, Pep Guardiola is this guy who it, it, it maybe is there something about how clever he is that is yeah. what makes him at times be like, I have the exact solution that's going to work. Yeah, and then you're like, yeah, but there's another problem is that what if it doesn't? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting thing because he's so clever. Uh, over time, he's done so many things with his teams to change the way we do things in the game. I mean, the overlapping center backs thing that he was doing a few seasons ago where we, he would have the outside backs become sixes and then the oh, center yeah. backs would go around them and then the sixes would drop it. I mean, it was this whole entire scheme he did and yeah. it was really clever. And the thing is that in time, it's been used by other teams and, and, and teams have started to really use that in a different way. Uh, well, in just a, a more solid way. Yeah. So this is a guy who keeps on creating these amazing tactical innovations to the game and it didn't work out. I don't want to give him too much like crap for getting it wrong, mm-hmm. but I, I, the one thing I just don't understand is how do you not go with a defensive midfielder? And then I agree. if you're Fernandinho, not starting a Champions League final after all these years at the club, captaining the club and everything. That's a yeah. weird one, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it just didn't make sense. Yeah. I Yeah, it just it did not make any sense. Especially because, like, even with, like, Chelsea, like, in terms of, like, their defense. Like, obviously, like, Thiago Silva has so much experience. Obviously, he's going to be chucked in over Christensen. You know, I, I just it was just obvious when, like, I just think they needed the experience that Fernandinho had, and I don't know why that wasn't utilized. I'm not saying like the players they had are bad or any like Man City, the players they have are bad, but I just think they needed someone like, like Fernandinho in that game, and they just didn't bring it. Well, then especially once Kevin De Bruyne gets hurt, you lose a massive leader, Absolutely. and oh, his injury. Oh, I feel bad for him. He just 
after the injury that he looked like a 16 year old kid that get, just got beat up i was like oh yeah. man i never especially seen with, kdb yeah, look like when, that yeah when they subbed him out um they like only showed the side that was okay so i was like oh look he's just you know it just sat it upset which again was sad upset but when he was when he sat on the bench i was like oh my god his face looks terrible oh my god he like, looked like he went into a he looked like he walked out of an mma fight yeah like rudiger <laughs> absolutely destroyed <laughs> not someone i would want to get into but, an octagon yeah. with is rudiger yeah. um easily one of the what did you players. think what do you think of that i mean there's some people who have been like oh that was a huge, terrible foul what did you think? What did you think it? Did you think it required some kind of reprimand? Do you think no? Um, do you think it was just incidental? Or I mean, I didn't really think much of it at, in the moment. Um, I guess like watching replays back, I think it could have been a yellow, but I don't think it was an extent of being a red. Like I just didn't think in the moment it was. It didn't look as bad to be a red, but um, I guess like looking back at it, definitely could have been a yellow. But um, I don't. In the moment, I was like, oh, that was just a bad collision. So from a Chelsea perspective, if you watch them play enough and you see Rudiger do 90 minutes week in, week out, yeah. that was 100% on purpose in terms of just blocking him. Mm-hmm. So for me, yellow card all day long. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say a red, but yeah, that, was, a red. that was a got- yellow card. It's I mean, Antonio Rudiger. This is what he does. This is this is yeah. part of like what um, he uses to to be imposing, and he is really imposing. I mean, I'm not I mean lie. yeah, someone like him should be really imposing. So, Kai Havertz, got to give him a little credit for finally scoring his first ever Champions League goal. Yeah, hey, to him. yeah, um, <laughs> not a bad one to score, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Did you see his post match interview? Oh, where the he, one said, where he said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, where he was like, where they were like, you're the most expensive player in Chelsea history. You know, what does it feel like to repay? Do you feel like you've repaid? He's like, I don't give a fuck about that. We just won the fucking Champions League. <laughs> yeah. I started laughing. Like, that was funny. <laughs> like, and that. then, and then classic broadcaster, uh, just have to apologize about the language. I love how the broadcasters, they apologize for what players say. And the players yeah. like, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> No, yeah, that was a good moment. That was a good moment for sure. But he he actually did play really well. I'm yeah, Havertz did really well for sure. Starting to think this guy might actually be a nine, might actually be a center forward. I mean, honestly, I I agree because I think I feel like I remember more big moments of of Havertz than I do Timo Werner. Sorry, I really Timo Werner grinds my gears a lot. I get really upset talking about Timo, Timo Varner, as our friends at the Lads podcast said. I think they, they uh, the amount of VAR decisions that he gets that rule out goals. Yeah. They call him Timo Varner. Timo Varner. <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely think Havertz has a definitely potential to be a nine. I think for sure. It's funny because when he came, I was like, I see him more as like a ten or an eight or whatever. And then now that he's been playing like as a center forward, I'm like, actually quite good there it's pretty yeah pretty yeah. good mm-hmm. um timo Werner, yep uh i have to say he's been incredibly frustrating this season i personally yeah. still believe that if he took 50 percent of the quality chances that he had between october and december frank lampard would not have got fired just because they would have won so games crazy. they would have won games that they had, that that got tight that they drew that they almost lost yeah. Um, I'm not blaming that. I, I do not think Frank Lampard would have gotten this team this far. I do no, not think so. I don't think so either. But yeah, I don't think so either. I also think Timo Werner has been incredibly frustrating this season, despite mm-hmm. all the work he puts in and everything. 
Yeah. So the chances he's missed are, are weirdly amateurish and they're not the kind of things I ever saw him miss throughout his career before that often literally does not make any sense I literally especially like <laughs> even when um when him in Germany uh that game against North Macedonia when he missed that wide open goal I genuinely thought that he'd be one of those players that like doesn't do anything for the club but the country that's where he's that's where his element is because like this year like obviously like he hasn't performed as much as he did in Leipzig but I thought maybe like for his country he'd step up I did not expect that at all. I was like, Timo Werner's just having a rough time. And I was like, and this is just not helping your case. <laughs> well, I hope that for him, winning the Champions League helps his confidence a little bit. And the next season, yeah. he doesn't look like some out-of-place child in a in a team and just, like, really yeah. get it running. Because it's it's been bizarre, really, to see him yeah. just kind of be so off-brand mm-hmm. himself. It's almost- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, Especially because everyone knows the quality he had. You know, like before, like I think if he, like, let's say he was just like a promising kid, like obviously he still is, but like let's say he was like a promising kid coming up, and like this move here was like where he could jumpstart it. Like we already saw him do it big, you know, and like coming here, it was it, it's a little disappointing, but hopefully this win jumpstarts that, and we could see what he's actually about. And uh, actually, so I'm already I'm going to tell you that the I found the perfect image that I'm going to use as my tile for this episode. And you'll have to take a look, but it's um, Mason Mount holding the trophy, being interviewed, and he's holding the trophy. And, you know, it's got the big ears, right? And he's just holding it on his side, and one of the ears just comes up close to his head like this, and he's listening to a question, and at one point he just leans his head against it and just closes (laughs) his eyes. And I just took a screenshot of when he's got his eyes closed, just leaning on the trophy like that. Yeah, Mason Mount. I love what a now. story it is for. And, and, and this is where I give Frank Lampard huge credit. Cause you mentioned Reese James. If it weren't for Frank Lampard in charge of Chelsea, Reese James would not be a champions league winner right now. Absolutely. Mason Mount would not be a champions league winner right now. Mm-hmm. Tammy Abraham, Callum Hudson, Adoy would be because it, it, cause he was already in, into the squad, but yeah, you know, Mason Mount, what he's done with this season, probably Chelsea's best player this season, 100%. probably now a, just an, a shoe in in the England setup. So yeah, I just think Frank Lampard deserves huge credit for what he, the, the path that he got Chelsea rolling on with a lot of these young players. Yeah, and then obviously Thomas Tuchel deserves enormous credit for, for oh, getting for the, sure. the car running the way it needs to. Yeah. absolutely. But, the timing of that was oddly weird. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that, that I, I, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I said, when Frank Lampard was fired and Tuchel came in, I was like, look, he's probably going to do well. He's probably going to do better. But like, this just feels so empty to like the way we fired Lampard, just the way it went. I was like, I almost don't care how we do this season. If like next year I can like restart my fandom feel, but like this season it just felt, and that's maybe why winning the champions league just kind of felt like not as special, Mm -hmm. but my goodness, it is a huge achievement. Absolutely. Um, He literally turned that team around and like, like the team's record and like that. Yeah. And, and also just the aura around them. You didn't want to play them anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that was not the case when Lampard was in charge. You always felt you could nick something out of the game. Yeah. Even though you were playing against a team of insanely talented players who played nice football, you were like, there's always a chance. Mm-hmm. And against Tuchel, it's felt like there's not going to be very many there's chances. Chance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. And then as a Chelsea fan, the one the one person who I, I 
mentioned in a previous uh, conversation with other people was Cesar Aspiliqueta, captain of the team, deserves a little bit of shine and recognition here because he joined the club Absolutely. in the summer of 2012, immediately after yeah. they won the Champions League. He's the longest serving player. Mm-hmm. And for him as captain, I mean, this was the last chance, I think, for him to win a Champions League and be such an integral member of the team. Yeah, for sure. I think he's going to start being phased out a little bit more as Reese James keeps getting better. And um, and I mean, I think he's still very much going to be important, but it's a huge it's a really awesome story for a guy who also as far as Spanish national team. He's rarely been involved. He is going to the Euros, Mm -hmm. but he's always been in the backseat behind, you know, different players. And yeah, I just I just wanted to give him a little recognition. And then the other one, a small one is is uh, Edouard Mendy, who. Oh, my God. This time at the beginning of the season, when the when the ball was first kicked, I remember when Chelsea played Liverpool in their third league game of the season or second league game of the season, Kepa was in goal and had a horror show. No one knew the name Edouard Mendy. No, one. and now he's a Champions League winner and looks the part. Yeah, so that was such a good signing, such a good signing, amazing, right? Yeah, so, much needed, but such a good that was such a good signing. Yeah, I'm really impressive. I think that's that's one of those things that people have been talking about in the the fallout of this is how actually impressive Chelsea, from an ownership and leadership perspective, dealt with things over the last six months in terms of making the replacement. And then when the super league thing happened, they were the first club to pull out when their first fans were all club, over yeah. them. So, which, which made them look a lot better than, you know, some of the other clubs Every like Arsenal and United basically. And, and I, 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 there is something there, isn't there? That the, the way the, the way the club is run, you kind of get the feel that if the right coach is there, they are actually potential winners of anything every single year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As a United fan, is that scary? Yeah, hundred, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, I think, I think my view on, I think I'm a very like, I would like to say I'm a very objective fan. I definitely do have my biases. Um, but I think for like this year, for example, like Chelsea, like I like so many of the players in Chelsea's team. Like I can't even dog them for it. You know what I mean? Like there's so many quality players that, that you guys have that I absolutely love. Like Mason Mount. I have, a, I have the biggest soft spot for Billy Gilmore. I absolutely love Billy Gilmore. Like he, ah, uh, I just can't wait to see him at the Euros. But I love Billy Gilmore. Absolutely love. I even love Ben Chilwell and Gola Conte, obviously. But there's so many players on this squad now. Obviously, that wasn't in a couple squads years ago. That I don't know what squad I didn't like. But like the squad with like Mar- Ramirez, Oscar. Diego Costa, I absolutely hated Chelsea. Like, hated Chelsea. But now I can't even, like, hate them that much. You know what I mean? Like, now it's just, like, I can't even... Like, obviously, like, rivals, I don't like them. But, like, it's never... Like, if they beat us, I'm like, okay, they beat us, you know? It always depends on, like, who scores. Not necessarily, like, the team as a whole, which is honestly weird. But, yeah, no, Chelsea definitely don't have, like, this, like, aura that they, like, rule London and, like, they're the London team, you know? Yeah, it's really it's really happened over the years. I mean, really unseated Arsenal and then have stayed there. Yeah. Um, and the here's I guess the thing is, you know, you're a Man United fan. You've got a club legend as the coach who's done well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a club legend as our coach who was doing well, and was ruthlessly replaced, and now we're Champions League winners. Um. It, do you think there's some Man United fans looking and going, 
maybe we need to do something like that. Or is the, do you think the support for Ole is still, no, this is the right direction to go in. Give continue to give him the opportunity to build this the way Fergie was given time. Or do you think there's some people going, I mean, like you, you replace the guy, you get him, you get the right person in and you can win two titles in no time. Yeah. I think, I definitely think that Ole deserves a little bit more time because I think at least the players that he's brought in. I mean, besides Van de Beek, but that's a whole other thing. But like a lot of the players that he's brought in have been like utilized. And a lot of his players has been such a key. Like, for example, like Bruno, Harry Maguire, Wamasaka. Um, like a lot of players like that have been such an integral part of our team that like he does. And like Cavani, obviously, like he does bring in people that we've used and have been such a big aspect of us. So people do still think that like, oh, maybe if he gives them like a little more time to like get some players maybe that like maybe something will happen but at the same time like I think he's only got like a year maybe before like every fan gets like upset like I think he's he's like in it I think a year max and then everyone's gonna want something different because I, I guess like now that even though it's like a better time you know like I feel like Jose was like worst time sour but we still produce something but the fact that like now it's a lot better and we're not producing anything it's kind of like I think every fan's like, I don't even know like what to feel anymore, you know? It's an so interesting point. Yeah. So I think definitely now, I think I think Ole's going to get like this next year to see what's up. And then after that, I don't know. That's going to be up in the air. But I think well, we Ole will see. Yeah. I like your prediction. And I actually will agree. I think the players he has brought in have been good. I think overall his yeah. signings have been great. I think Daniel James, despite not being any kind of anything that's super special. I think he's a great role player to have at the club. I think he's the type Absolutely. of guy who will always just love being at Man United and will always work his balls off to be there. Yeah. Wamba Saka, the same. Bruno wants to be a Man United legend. Edinson Cavani is exactly the type of player you want to bring in. You know, I, I, I Donnie Van de Beek's a different story because we yeah. just, I, honestly, I don't know. We just, I don't really know what happened with that. I, it's, it's, it's so perplexing that a guy comes for that much money who was clearly talented and never plays. I don't really know. I don't want to go. I, I would I don't know probably I put that on the, the foot place. of the board more than I would put that at the feet of Ole because every other signing he's done has been someone he clearly wants. So I don't, I, I kind of have a feeling that was done. You know, Edwin Vandersar. Hey guys, what's up? You guys want yeah. Donnie Van de Beek? Got a good price. You guys want he's good. Should take him. Yeah. And Ole's like, uh, and then boom, here he yeah, is. And you're like, okay, well, let's see how it works. And it's like, I don't have a place for you in this team. Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. But I think overall, Ole's signings have been promising. I think they've been pretty good. And he's yeah. I just I just didn't see what. Yeah. But maybe then it's it's the question yeah, is totally. is I agree. I just think. Oh, sorry. Go for it. Oh, no, you're you're talking completely. Just go off your point. <laughs> no, I, I was just thinking that uh, it, it's it's an interesting place. Like the signings have been good. Kind of like, again, like Lampard, I thought, brought in a lot of great players for the club. But what we've seen as Chelsea fans, we have to admit, is we needed a top, top, top coach to mm-hmm. really get the best out of them. And I wonder if Man United fans are maybe going to start thinking that. And what you just said, I think, is a very good uh, is a good point. I think the timeline of one season or half a season, and then half a season to one is probably the ceiling. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. I think fans are going to get so frustrated after uh, like if if we don't get anything from even like FA, we don't have. We just have to get something. 
just something. <laughs> or yeah, it's turning. It's turning Spursy. Out. It's getting Spursy over there. What's yeah? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. So mean, both yeah. our clubs are in the Champions League next season. Man United and Chelsea. Right off the bat, who's going to go further next year? In the Champions League? Yes, between Chelsea and Man oh, United. Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. I well, last last year we got such a bad draw. I knew we weren't. <laughs> Our draw was garbage. <laughs> PSG, Leipzig, and then Istanbul. I was like, I did not see us doing. It. I, I honestly, it the thing about last year is like the, the whole group stage. I I mean like this past year. Um, I did not expect us to start well and then like end it poorly. Like I thought we would like start poorly. Like I thought we would lose to PSG. We'd lose to Leipzig like very early, but we like one, one, we beat PSG somehow, which I was so shocked. And then we were doing well. And then all of a sudden thrashed we, Leipzig. Yeah. We destroyed Leipzig and all of a sudden it just went downhill from the, I, that made no sense to me. Like I thought we'd like start poorly and end poorly. I didn't think we'd start well and then just like throw it all away but no yeah like uh, based off our luck of the luck we have of draws but like i just don't think we i think chelsea probably has a better shot at going farther than man united for sure <laughs> yeah i probably agree but yeah. it, it is going to be a really interesting summer for both clubs obviously yeah you know i think the very interesting because man united have the financial power to bring people in and i think yeah. it you know who is it going to be is Jaden sancho going to show up is harry kane going to show up so it's going to yeah. be really interesting to see how they strengthen the team and where I think for Chelsea, it's not so much who they're going to bring in. It's who's going to get sold. I think that's really going to be more interesting there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then overall, I think I'm just excited for a Champions League where fans are in the grounds from the very beginning. And it feels like those, as the guys on Univision, Teo Dehene said, Las Noches Magicas de la Champions. (laughs) That's what I'm waiting for again, you know, because it just hasn't felt like that over the last year. And to see these two tournaments and the only fans that I really remember from these two finals are the Villarreal fans. Yeah. Um, It felt different, I think, from everyone else. And um, I'm just hoping for the rebirth of the beauty of the Champions League next season. Yeah, I just feel like at least in like the past couple Champions Leagues, that have like the big games have like all been like with that energy of fans it's like Liverpool being Barcelona and like just like those big games like that like we didn't have like the fans not being there especially especially for Champions League of all leagues definitely made a huge difference like even the Premier League it made a difference but like I don't know if we're gonna get another Aston Villa beating Liverpool 7-2 again um which I hope we do but I don't know if we're gonna get that like if I don't know if if the fans were there I don't know if that would happen so like (laughs) I feel like it's Champions League especially needs fans like out of all out of all leagues period well, Mourinho did say football is drunk at when when all these crazy results were happening, and I'm I was fine with seeing football drunk for a little while, but I have to say Same. the Champions League should never be drunk. Yeah, the Champions Absolutely League should not. always be high class, functioning, beautiful stuff, and yes. uh, I'm excited for that to come back. Hopefully, the feel of it all is is wrapped up is ramped up to what we remember it and. <laughs> And look, I, I do wish Man United luck like next season. I think it's kind of boring to have Man United be a club that everyone just needs to talk about how they need to get back to where they were. Yeah. I'd prefer they're there and that it's more yeah, competitive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Totally agree. 
And because I remember that that Champions League final between United and Chelsea in 08. And I mean, just the margins and the feel of it and the red cards and the rain and, you know, the the players, the the level of the legends that were all on that field. It would be nice for that kind of an occasion to come back between these two clubs. So. Claire, super fun to do this. I, I, I've been I've been looking yeah. forward to us collabing for a while. It's so great yeah, that we got totally. to do it. And yeah, w- honestly, w- is there w- what are you most excited for for the summer? Um, in terms of um, in terms of yeah, what kind of football are you most ex- excited for? Uh, I'm. I mean, me. I'm mainly excited for the Euros. Um, I I think just like that, that one group of death, I think is gonna stir up a lot of stuff that France. Germany Portugal group Ooh, I I predict France and Portugal going through but I maybe Germany puts in an upset I feel so bad for Hungary my heart goes out for them you're forgetting what happens after France win win tournaments it I tends know. it tends to get dramatically amazing and yeah. crashes to the floor in the most spectacular way so we'll yeah. see we'll see yeah, I'm we'll not see. I am like ah oh. yeah I'm very excited for that but also like even the like I'm pretty sure like Copa America starting at the same time I think yeah I think yeah. so Definitely interesting to see Messi back in an Argentina jersey. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. the Olympics. And I want to I want to mention the Olympics because sure. I think this is what once again another opportunity for for the women's game to see something different because I don't think anyone Absolutely. when I was hearing everyone talk about the Champions League final between Chelsea and Barcelona on the women's side, mm-hmm. everyone was like, "Oh, it's, it's Chelsea are going to win." You know, I think they're just too good, really? they're too strong. A lot of people were saying that, and I was like. Oh. I don't think you people watch Barcelona play. I don't think you guys yeah. watch them play at all. Hmm. And that's what I've noticed is that everyone, I think a lot of people think that in Europe, the German team, there's a few good German teams, a few really good French teams, and then there's a few really good English teams. But I think a lot of people have seen the rise of the English teams and felt, oh, I mean, they, they must now have gotten to be the best because these player, this player, this player. Yeah. But the way Barcelona play, and I, wa- I was at the Spain-USA game in, in France, I was there oh, really? and I watched that game and I was like, this is not easy for the U S yeah. and so the standard is now so high. I challenge anyone to actually firmly confidently pick a winner for the Olympics for the women's game this year. Mm-hmm. It is going to be so competitive and tight. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually, yeah, really excited for that. For sure. So, and I, that's, yeah. that's not nice. the nice thing about that is it doesn't conflict with the euros and the Copa America. It's like, yep. In August. So yep. <laughs> Always have something to watch. Soccer's just never ending. It just keeps going. It's, it's the it gift just, that keeps yeah. on giving. Well, at least at least we don't have like three major tournaments all happening at the same time. That would absolutely be my be, mind would have been destroyed. Yeah, no, it's, that that's go to bed and yeah, <laughs> wake up the yeah. next morning. Like, oh God, yeah. I have to try to keep up with everything. Yeah. Who do you think is gonna win though? Like any all these tournaments? Like who do you pick for the Euros? Okay, Copa, Copa America, I'm gonna go Leo Messi finally does it. Um I think so. yeah, I think Argentina Ooh. are good enough. Leo Messi's he left Barcelona I think a week before the season was up to just go to Argentina and get ready um I you know the way he's played for Barcelona this season he's able to pick a team on his shoulders and 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 win games for him still so and in a different way now he can play he can create the whole thing and in 25 minutes he can win a game all by himself so I'm 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 praying he gets something because the past two times have been yeah I'm just, I'm just really, I'm, I'm hoping for Messi because I think it'd be yeah, great. It'd be I, a great story. The Euros, who do I think is going to win the Euros? You know, that group of death, I think 
I, my person, my favorites right now, I would say Portugal and France. But when you have yeah. a group of death like that, it's yeah. so easy to chop off one of your winners right away. For sure. Um, do you think? Do you think? Do you think England, England have a well? really good chance because they're playing quite a few games at home, mm-hmm. so they can get on a run. And then yeah. once they get into the right positions, they've got good enough players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Spain are going to make moves. I don't think Germany are going to make moves. I don't think so either. And I, I think, think if you want an outsider that could do something interesting, not necessarily outsider, but a team that not as many it's people are talking it's got to be Belgium. Yes. Um, and then my dark horse for going and pissing in the punch bowl is the Czech Republic. Oh, that's a good shout. That's a good shout. So Czech Republic. That, yeah, Croatia always creeps in somehow too. Yeah, but you know, you know what's been happening. If you've been watching it's the Premier been... League, right? You've heard of Thomas Susek, and you're like, oh yeah. no, look out for the Czechs. Uh-huh. They're coming because they've actually really improved. They've been a lot better. So I, I, I yeah, say, no, look Suchek out for them as a surprise. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you? Do you, do you know who do you, anyone you think is going to win? Any... Oh, and the, oh, sorry, I'll say the Olympics. I actually, um, <sighs> the Olympics. Man, I want to say I'm going to go on a weird limb here and say um, Team Great Britain, Team GB. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting pick. I don't think I've ever would have chosen GB, but I, it's a good shout. Yeah. France isn't in it. Yeah. Keep in mind, they didn't, they they had to beat the US in the quarterfinal of the World Cup to actually get to the Olympics and be one of those top seed teams. Yeah. I like Holland. I like Spain, but I just think this Team GB thing is a really interesting thing. If they get the right vibe in the group, it could be really, really powerful because there's a lot of good players in that. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm definitely excited for that. No, yeah, for the Euros, I I do agree. I feel like Belgium could definitely sneak in and cause some damage for sure, 100%. I I forgot who's in their group, but I'm pretty sure it's like Turkey. Is it Turkey? I don't remember. I'm going to have to relook at all the groups again. Yeah, I feel like Belgium has a decent group. Like, I think Belgium should easily make it out of their group. So I think, I definitely think England has a little bit tough, like with the Czech Republic. And I feel like sort of Scotland's in their group too. So that'd be interesting, England versus mm. Scotland. But yeah, I think definitely Belgium have a good chance of making it far for sure. Yeah. And then Olympics? Any? Oh, and that the I'm women's sure. Olympics? Not sure. I'm not sure. Obviously, I predict America is going to go far, but depending on who plays and who they play against, I think they're definitely going to be. There's they're going to get a lot of more more challenges than they have in the past. So it's going to be for sure. Yeah. Well, here comes summer 2021 of football. Post pandemic is what we're hoping that it feels like, and uh, and that it all comes back. Seeing fans in the grounds for all those things is going to be amazing. And yeah, Claire, talk about what your show is real quick because you got to promote it real fast. Definitely. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So uh, I have a podcast, EPL Wrecked, where I basically drink a little bit, depending on what the, the what I drink could be water, could not be water. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But I basically uh, just drink and just talk about everything, Premier League, Champions League, just everything related. So any any tournament a Premier League player is involved in, I just talk about it and I rant on about random dumb things <laughs> um whatever just gets whatever's in my head just comes out and spews out on that podcast so yeah check it out well and i just i just want to give you a shout out because i just love how genuine you are i think that's what's yeah. that's what's the most fun about your show you. you're so Thank you, you. 
and yeah. I don't even know you, but I'm like, I, 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 I can see that you're you, and I, I love that. Yeah, so, and then mine is Campfire Football. For anyone watching this on, on EP, listen to the EPL Rec, um, yeah. I, I just try, I try to do little stories about the game, um, and, and uh, what I try and do is stay away from things that I know nothing about, like transfers and things like that. I just try and talk about what I see and know, and I hate throwing people under the bus. I like talking about positive stuff more than negative stuff. So, those are our shows, and we hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. 100%. <laughs>